I'm Mike Gillis. And I'm Casey Doran. And this is Radio vs. the Martians. This month's single-serving selection, Uzumaki by Junji Ito. So, Casey, you ready for some nightmare fuel? Oh, I'm already there. This has been the month of October. What a perfect, perfect time to inject your brain with things that you're going to keep thinking about for days and days and days on oh, end. Oh, yeah, some body horror. You got some existential dread. You oh, so of course we are talking about Uzumaki, the horror manga by artist and creator Junji Ito, which was originally serialized in the magazine Big Comic Spirits from 1998 to 1999. Oh my god. Um <laughs> I this don't think is, this I was is one weird, wicked journey you've you've let us down. <laughs> it's, I don't know if I was emotionally prepared to deal with this, but thankfully we're not doing this alone. We are joined, of course, by our friend, uh, a connoisseur of all things dark and spooky, librarian extraordinaire, Kid to Forge. I was allowed outside for this, and I'm kind of wondering if I just want to curl into a ball, but it seems like a bad idea. (laughs) (laughs) Not quite sure why. (laughs) I I think this might end up turning out a bit like uh, a session of uh, group therapy. I think that might be where we're going here. Yeah. Because, oh my God, this is not the first time I have read Uzumaki, but I think I was... I think I have less of a, a force field around my sort of emotional states, maybe because the world is on fire in these days. Yeah. And I'm just like, oh, God. I, oh. I think we're all sort of there. And like in, in some weird ways, like I, I thought that with things being as they are, that I would get the same satisfaction out of just seeing something completely out of it and not okay for a while. Because I've, I've always been a horror movie person and horror comics and everything else. But somehow reading a comic that really largely depends on mass sickness and mass hysteria (laughs) in the current political climate didn't give me that sense of distance that i was hoping for the escapism oh there's a just a sense of doom so (laughs) darn skippy oh god like i said i was not ready for this book um and I've read it before, so I was just unguarded, right on the nerve. So, uh, Kit, uh, one of the things we always like to do on these single-serving selections is that we like to ask our guest, if you could sum up in a paragraph or two, what is Junji Ito's Uzumaki all about? That's a fun one. Um, I I think that a good way to put it is Uzumaki is about reading about both people's tendency to whip themselves up energetically through their own paranoia and the the actual I guess the actual sense of of following a spiral of story um, I come to to find this particular work of his has this sense of motion to it that not only is happening to the characters but also is happening to the reader so as as far as summation, there's what's happening to everybody here, and there's what's happening to you as you watch people take actions that you think you would be able to step out of, but yet somehow you're still reading. So mm. for me, it's it's all in the name. It's a vicious cycle. 
Yeah, it's a spiral. I mean, yeah. and <laughs> the thing I kind of find interesting, I have, and, and, and it's a well, it's a deceptively simple premise, right? I mean, yeah. given that there's a small coastal Japanese town and it's being infected by spirals, and the way in which the spirals manifest themselves as sort of distinct things that happen within the world, as well as large events, huge, like, earth-changing events. Apocalyptic, soul-crushing events. And and everything in between, and things that not only can you not expect, but things that you just can't get out of your head. Yeah. The psychological getting supernatural, I guess, is a a good thought for this comic. The word I kept coming back to over and over again is Lovecraftian. Yes. That uh, one of the things H.P. Lovecraft is famous for, aside from his rampant racism, is, <laughs> is that <laughs> there's this sense of impending doom. There's an inevitability about the thing that you're dealing with that you're going to try to fight it. You're going to try to survive, but you won't. And you know that almost at the outset. You know that you're doomed. You know that you're not going to win, that there's this ineffable ancient evil force and it's going to bulldoze over you and not even acknowledge that you're there it not even acknowledge that you're an intelligent being and you're going to be overwhelmed and destroyed by it and you're going to descend into madness and death and there is nothing you can do about it the powerlessness of everything (laughs) it's he illustrates it so well like from from the get-go in the story he points out some of the the sort of elements or things he's going to be toying with from like lighthouse snail shell stuff like that all from the very very beginning Mm -hmm. and of course the the dust devils and stuff that they even see in the streets but what i really like about what you said in inevitability is the path that's taken by or by the father becoming obsessed with the spirals as going into the spin mm-hmm. yeah. and his wife attempting to go out of the spin yes. after yes. his death, but still you end up the same place. Right. <laughs> and that's, that's exactly right. You yeah. know, talking about that inevitability and inescapability of something stronger than you. And something that it's just, it's like this ancient thing waking up again. Yes. And there's a sense of a cycle, but I think even you mentioned it before that even the structure of the story is a spiral that it starts out slow, that you have these two characters. You have Kiri and you have uh, Shuichi, her boyfriend. They're both high school students living in this coastal town. And Shuichi is kind of, in a lot of ways, what I imagined that Junji Ito is like. This sort of haunted, <laughs> serious guy who's kind of quiet and is kind of like, oh my god, you have no idea. We have to get out of here. And he gives so many warnings throughout the story. We should leave right now. And they don't, that she sort of hangs around, that his girlfriend, Shiri, is much more, she's more open, she's much more altruistic, she's more optimistic. And it starts out with a series of simple, you know, kind of stories, almost like short stories in an anthology that go in chronological order in this town that, you know, Shuichi's dad is obsessed with spirals. And then later, after he, this drives him to an insane body horror death where he's, you know, curling himself up into this wooden tub. Yeah. <laughs> um, then his mother becomes obsessed and fearful of spirals, and she sees them everywhere, and to the degree that she cuts off her hair because her hairs can curl up on the edge, so she shaves her head. She sees that she has spirals on her fingertips, so she cuts them off with a razor blade. Stabs herself in the ear trying to get her to cochlea. Yeah. I know! It's yeah. like, at that point where you realize, I think that... Um, Shuichi sees that doctor's, you know, 
uh, that illustration of the inner ear on the wall and he sees it and he's just like, Oh shit. I hope my mom doesn't see that. Oh, hope I hope my mom doesn't see that. It's just this terror. And it's this kind of, it is a spiral. So it starts out slow with these individual stories that are all kind of seemingly individual and sort of, well, they're just happening to individual people. Yeah. There's nothing is nothing. There's a, there's a force at work at the greater town. Like, like you said, that's totally in the first story. You can see things happening. And of course, as it gets closer, the events that befall him, uh, you know, I think, what is it, the, in the second story, the spiral from the ashes from the crematorium yeah. starts circling in the middle of town. And that's that's all that's happening right now that's, that's crazy is the ashes from people's bodies being burned are forming a weird spiral of ash in the middle of town over the lake. Um, and of course, the people just like the crematorium get drawn into that and will and become the victims of the spiral but i i think the thing that's probably that's difficult that's missing because we're just talking about something is um this is not just a this would would be a fantastic story to write in a novel but the the bread and butter of this is that it's a graphic novel and the obsession the visual obsession with junji ito drawing the spirals and finding really uncanny unsettling ways to depict people's demise from oh. these oh. are are it's it's kind of shocking. There are they are shocking, but what is shocking is his ability to make something so grotesque out of the idea of a spiral in different ways that it shocks you every single. Each one is more shocking than the next. It's almost like a. It's like an esoteric concept. A spiral. It's just a shape. It's a. It's a line that curls inward and gets smaller and smaller. And the story operates that way. As you start out slowly at the edge of the spiral and you move into the center, it gets faster and faster and faster. And it's just this apocalyptic insanity at the end. Like picks up some kind of centrifugal force yeah, or something it, like that. Or, or, or an inertia to the story also. And it just it feels like madness. It's like nightmare logic when you get to the end. And there's stuff. And this is the part that, that gets me with this story is that there's a lot of horror out there. And I think that we're used to horror being a lot of jump scares and a lot of gore. And there are some jump scares and there are some elements of gore. There's some horrific body horror in this. But I think what this story does really well, and I know that like, the movie Get Out has this as well. It's that sense of dread, a sense of feeling trapped. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And you have these images that pop up. Like you mentioned, Junji Ito's art is incredible. There's like this distortion of faces and and bodies and stuff in these in these ways, and sometimes subtle ways that make people seem almost monstrous. And um, at the end, you just have this nightmare logic. You have this sort of insanity. You have this stuff where the world is just broken and you can't leave it. And it's like you're kind of, it, it is like a drain that we're all getting sucked down. Yeah. And it's it just gets crazier and crazier where it becomes harder and harder to deny, where at first... It's almost like these are scary stories to tell in the dark. It's like, oh, this is a thing that happened to this guy, and this happened to this student, this happened to this teacher, this happened to Shuichi's dad. And eventually it's happening to everybody. This like urban legend kind of quality at the beginning that then just like the the reason those things are so popular is because people like to spread them. Yes. People like to spread the madness. And when when you were talking, Casey, about the uh, the ashes and everyone seeing the ashes at um, the memorial that they were having. 
and the ashes falling into the pond. Oh, yeah. I, I also like to think of uzumaki not just as the the drain going down, but the act of mixing. Yeah. And yeah. he does that really well in the story too, because with that cremation, you have the ashes falling into the water, and then you have the ashes being turned into the pottery by his <laughs> yes. uh, his girlfriend's father. And when you get all the way to the end, there is also a literal twisting of the people involved yeah. into each wheel. other, mixed yeah. together. Yeah. So the the events in the town, the individuals in the town, mix up other people around them. And it becomes like a contagion to the point that everybody gets this collective madness. And I, I think to me that where you get the Lovecraft from and all of that is a lot about how it's terrifying that there's something stronger than you, but it's twice as terrifying to know how easy it is to lose sight of your senses when the people around you are doing it as well. Yeah. Yeah. And, and everybody becomes a that. monster. That <laughs> near the end of the story, it's really just Kiri, Shuichi, um, Kiri's little brother. Yeah. And they're just trying to survive in this like apocalyptic hellhole that they can't leave because it's like this gravity well of this town that if somebody tries to go through the single tunnel that goes through the mountains into the town and it just becomes this like vertigo of insanity and then they say have to come back, there's no way to leave. <laughs> they try to go through the mountains and they just end up back where they started. Um, that everything is a spiral and the lake, that little pond in the center of town is just pulling people towards it and towards it and towards it. And that's what I love is that it isn't just these horrific things. It's frequently when reading this and it sticks with you for weeks after you're just going about your day, you're at work, you're doing something. And then an image from this book will come into my head and I will feel genuinely uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. I'll be reminded of like the snail people. Yes. <laughs> the yeah. snail people, for example. Yes. And snail cannibalism. <laughs> snail and cannibalism. Particular, the people walking around, panels before, suddenly dehumanized. Yeah. 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 They were a person. That. And again, the snail pattern on the shell, a spiral. Right. Mm-hmm. And these people devolve into snails who are being hunted by these mad crazy people right. so at, at, a, at a certain point in time uh the the town itself devolves is destroyed by hurricanes by tornadoes spirals um and there's only there's only refuge in one place in town which are these old really old tenements that are that have no running water and they're sort of broken down and people are sheltering in them and so people are st- trying to scavenge to stay alive and um there have been some number of people who have been uh, turned into snails. And so at a certain point in time, it becomes the Donner Party, right? Survival becomes eating people who are snails. And they're not humans really anymore. They're snails, so it's okay. And to me, there are lots of, th- there are lots of things that are unsettling about the book. But there is one, there is a transition that happens near the end where Kyrie says, uh, last night I ate snail person. Yeah. Like, and it's, it's a single panel. It's yeah. like of a dark and cloudy, it's like of a cloudy night. And that's the most unsettling thing is cause you're right. Kyrie is the, she is the one who remains the, who remains kind of untouched and the most optimistic from the whole experience. She's the one who doesn't despair. She's the one who doesn't fall into the spiral itself. But in that moment, she's like, there's now there's no way back. Like I've, I d- did what the spiral uh, is doing to us. I, I, I'm, I'm now serving the spiral. We're all polluted by it. Yep. I think at one point you see these people who've become sort of 
monsters living in the rubble. They can't find anything to eat. And you see that they smell food up ahead and there's this fire (laughs) and it's these giant spiral shells in there. And you see one of them having been burnt and you can see under the burnt flesh of this, like a human skull underneath it. And you're reminded that this isn't just a giant snail. This is a snail that's almost part human and was human. And it's not going to let you pretend that you aren't eating one of your neighbors. And the minute they see you start to slow down, the minute they start to see that shell pattern form on your back, they they basically start treating you like you're just food for later. They're yeah. just storing you away. And <laughs> you get these like gangs that form of people like riding tornadoes and stabbing people. So, so I, I, I want to talk about the tornado gangs. <laughs> the 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 previous time that we did on this show that we did a work of uh, a long form work of Japanese manga was Akira, um, and you know Akira is also sort of about a society that looking at a society that is has come apart because of uh, a natural or su- I guess you could say a supernatural occurrence that tears down society and people are sort of left in the rubble trying to make their way, and I got a super strong sense of towards sort of the half or two-thirds through Akira where um, the people of Neo-Tokyo are sort of reforming and people are, are are sort of factioning off between one thing or another, but they're sort of forming these gangs. I got this with the sort of tornado riders, which are the street punks. I got the same idea, which is like, they're these, they're these young kids who, you know, maybe they're high on speed. I don't know. I don't know what they're high on, but they are they're going to be the masters of this new world but they're masters of rubble that's basically yeah. all it is so they're just these they're these nihilistic punks that are running around i got a super strong sense of of uh of otomo there and i don't yeah. know if it was deliberate or not but that was sort of the maybe that's sort of the jap the post-apocalyptic japanese perspective rolling through but well, oh just thinking on uh extremism and polarity i guess where you know you you bring up certain sensibilities that we go is this a japanese thing or you know as as westerners are we missing something and one of the things i think about a lot in these elements of horror is in japanese books is how we get these really over the top sort of reactions or these just completely nonplussed ones and i i see that in the juxt or juxtapositions in the art as well where you have the hyper grotesque and then you have the super simplistic sort of characters in there too um but i i'm i'm sort of uh wound up on this one again spun around um, <laughs> <No>, spiral. <laughs> as as far as it goes um that i think that there are a lot of societies that are relatively more homogenized than our own that the idea of extremity or polarity has its own level of horror, like Norway has the same kind of things, that people are relatively secure, that things are are relatively normal. They all kind of look out for each other and have a a general, maybe I'm generalizing a little too much, but I, I feel like I see this obsession with polarity in, in horror from countries like that as well. Um, I, I think that extremism becomes its own kind of horror when you live in a place that is generally taught about like getting along, not asserting yourself too strongly in, in opinion or in public or otherwise is, you know, giving people their space and you keeping your own, that this idea of declaring something loudly is a sign of sickness. Mm -hmm. And I don't know. I, I think that there's something that he plays with 
there too in this book as far as it goes where you have the people that don't that kind of refuse to remember things that just happened like Kyrie like she must have some kind of amnesia yeah. or something because horrible things will happen and she'll still sort of have this nonplus sort of attitude but then you have people that as quick as the opportunity arises it almost seems just go completely yeah balls out like they're just gone it's bonkers they they are now it's like okay i live in a broken world now i'm going to and it's almost like they're laughing and having fun in it but they're doomed too Mm -hmm. all of them this is a dead end that we're all in and you're either killing snail people and riding tornadoes or you're huddling in these really old houses that seem to be the oldest things in town that are somehow immune to all the winds that these brand new buildings are being destroyed by these hurricanes that hit over and over again. But these like shacks that are made out of the oldest kinds of woods that are barely staying together are somehow just sort of immune. And it's sort of like they're part of that spiral that moves toward the center of town. And it's just like, we're, Either you're going to fight and and do crazy stuff and become a monster on the outside, or you're going to huddle in fear on the inside of these buildings. But we're all going to the same place. But that's the the conformity conformity culture thing that makes that even more terrifying. Is that there can be this split for a little while, but the idea again of I ate snail people today that that's what makes it so terrifying in Junji Ito's books is that there is an eventual conformity to madness Mm. because it's more familiar than splitting off and seeing what happens when people don't like that you don't agree. Right. And this, he, he's done this before. Like I I was thinking about his other work, uh, Enigma at Amigara Fault, where it's all about shapes in a mountain that everybody sees a shape and they feel it's calling to them. That it goes, you know, I I fit. This hole was made for me. And they start shimmying into these holes on the side of the mountain that they feel they're supposed to enter and occupy. But as they go forward, it's like a sawtooth pattern. Their bodies are slowly contorted and broken into something completely different. They don't die of this. (laughs) They just come out so distorted, thin little pieces, these wiry noodle kind of people that on some level, yeah, that sounds funny. On another, it's terrifying to think of that a person would continue to do something, A, because they're seeing everybody else doing these things, and B, because they're taught that they need to fit a role. And oh, that it wow. makes sense to occupy that is that he he plays with these aspects of his own culture in ways that are uniquely horrifying to people that live in it. But I think that us as Westerners, we we see the body horror kind of side and then maybe... We we don't kind of wonder where he's pulling these things from as much. Um, I don't know. I was. It's just there are some that there. Uh, uh, I I feel we are coming from. I guess so. There's so there's a part of a distance that we are going to have as Westerners that are, are viewing it. That uh, we can hope that there are themes in it that are universal enough that we're sort of going to get something other than the shock value. For me, I mean, I don't think there's plenty of times when some of the they're all sort of each individual threads and stories and so sometimes they are related to the larger narrative but sometimes they're just about a really like a tiny uh, like a small thing that's happening so one of them is the girl with spirals in her hair like i think there's a there's a sort of a jealousy thing happening at the at the high school and there's another girl who um who her hair starts to uh 
form into spirals and this is attracting the boys that she's she wants to end up attracting and of course this ends up <laughs> becoming a terrible thing is that the at the end the spirals end up killing her right yeah. and boring through her is it is it wait is it the well, same with the boars through her, her eye she has like this crescent scar on her head her yes. name is azumi oh, yeah, those yes. are those are two different scenarios oh, they're two different ones yeah, oh yes is that, is that azumi is the one whose uh whose face slowly or the scar in her face slowly like consumes the rest of her like a black and hole. the other girls are accusing her of using the scar to basically mind control men into going with her and doing that whole again spiral of school gossip thing sucking everyone in and mm. going don't talk to her Kyrie. she's terrible don't talk to her she controls men and it does start to eat her up but then i think it's Kyrie that gets the big whirls and she's afraid yeah. of being noticed and mm. so a lot of it she doesn't want everyone looking at her and so when she tries to do something about it her hair is strangling her and <laughs> shuichi eventually cuts her hair which like so many feminist questions, um, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but yes, I, I I see what you mean though. I I think that I think the uh, there are there are, uh, the one I think the uh, there are a couple that stand out for me as just sort of being maybe they work as more terrifying because you um, they can relate to your sort of experience and one of them uh, they I think they're displaced for some reason and they have to move into these weird row houses. And there are like there are neighbors on the walls, or they can hear shit that's happening that's utterly, utterly terrifying. the The guy who lives on the other side of the wall is slowly turning into this weird like he's diseased, and so he has what are basically warts all over his body, oh, right. all over his hands and stuff. And that, for me, being a teenager and stuff, and you, I mean, most people get warts, like, and it's it is a disgusting, terrifying like thing. But then to see it sort of amplified to the degree that that the Junji Ito is doing, which is like it is. It is insane. It's like these spirally conical spikes that are poking out of people and causing right. them a great deal of pain. And you see a person that basically is more spike than person. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, God. And I think the one that really got to me was the jack-in-the-box story. Oh, oh God. Yeah. Oh, where... <laughs> the weird card. The oh, spring, God. though. God. There's this guy who's kind of a wacky prankster yep. who's basically stalking Kiri and... Um, he won't leave her alone. She just tells him to back the fuck off and he won't leave her alone. And he's always jumping out from behind things. And she tells him off and says, I have a boyfriend. I'm perfectly happy. You need to stop and not bother me anymore. And he says, well, maybe you go go out with me if I stand in front of this car and stop it. And the car just mows him down and he gets spiraled into its like wheel well. Oh yeah. And his body is just twisted into a spiral <laughs> and then later she just has this sense cuz he gave her a present before and of course it's a jack in the box. Mm-hmm. And um she just has this sense that he's not really dead. And this is how you know that the thing between her and Shuichi is real because when uh, you have a spouse who agrees to go with you to a cemetery to dig up a grave to make sure <laughs> that an enemy is dead. You want to hammer a stake through his heart? That's when you know it's love. Um, then he's just like, yeah, I will go along and help you do this. And <laughs> and they dig him up, and he immediately sets up, and he's like chasing after him, hopping. And every time he hits the ground and bounces back up, parts of him are breaking mm. off. Oh, because yeah. he's been reconstructed from being just broken in that wheel well, until eventually you see that lodged in his spine is like this, like, what is it, like a, a transmission coil or something? Yeah. 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 And it's making him jump, and he just falls apart, and it's just horrifying. It's really, really something. It is so gross. 
that's another that's another good example of the like the mad inevitability that he sets up throughout like all the stories the the sense that he he starts something with small details all the time that's the same kind of thing is that you know you had the ash thing before and normally he would be cremated it's not all that normal to be buried in japan but you find out that they're going to dig him up it's like no no. <laughs> there's no. something going on here because again it's just knowing that there is a chance at a body it's kind of a hint that something terrible is supposed to be of course it's not <laughs> yeah, going to be nothing know, to, yeah uh, and the fact that everyone's being buried now is such a rare thing because when people are cremated of course the spiral of their ashes forms above the lake and then just spirals down into it mm-hmm. and again that the whole thing with the kiln when uh, Kiri's father is making pottery that has the ashes of all these screaming people in this kiln as they're being burned. And then there's like screaming faces on the side of his pottery. <laughs> he eats a pl- off of a plate with his own parents in it. Yes. Like, oh. good Lord. <laughs> there's, a, there's a lot of Titus in that, I think. Maybe there's a little Titus <laughs> in that, I suppose. <laughs> the one that I think the there's... Like I said, there are some strange diversions. Certainly the one of the pregnant women in oh. the, oh. In the mm. maternity ward is... Oh. Um, yeah. it, there, there, are, there are turns that make sense. There are turns. There are turns in this that make sense in terms of like, well, how do you, how do you weave a spiral into something that's, that's crazy? The fact that there is this sort of spike is that I think Kyrie's cousin or something is, is pregnant and the spiral is infecting all these pregnant women on the pregnant ward and... The babies become self-aware, um, and is it plus is like there's like placental mushrooms being spiral mushrooms being grown that are being fed to all the people at the hospital, and then that some of that leads to a certain type of madness where the babies are commanding the doctors to have them surgically implanted back into oh, the womb, back in yeah. because it's this because it's the most comfortable place, like. That surely doesn't have anything to do with the with the spiral itself, but it is so unnerving. It is and so the, insanely, insanely unnerving. Because all these pregnant women are in the hospital because they're being bitten by mosquitoes. Oh, that's right. Yeah, right, right. and, and like the, the, they have the proboscis. Oh god. Yeah. yeah. And they're they said, of course, they said, oh well, the only mosquitoes that bite people and suck blood are pregnant, and they're doing that to feed these eggs. And it's these pregnant women who go out at night with these like hand crank drills. Yes. Yeah. And are pulling the blood out of people until <laughs> they have that proboscis that comes out in their tongue. Yeah. It just unrolls and it's like this hairy spike straw that goes into the side of that doctor's neck and you're like, oh God, oh God. But then like the, even the babies, like babies depicted in the womb are in a spiral. Yeah. Oh. To see like that because like the way the fetal position is, you're also in a spiral just to start with. And I was thinking on... Uh, the the creation of all these things that seem weirdly obsessive to build all these spiral stories out of like Junji Ito in an interview, they were, they were talking about how he was spending all this time with spirals that he was like draining his bath water and watching it, <laughs> that he was like looking up information about the human body and going, the DNA helix is a spiral yeah. and the inside of your ear is a spiral and babies are curled up in a spiral. And, um, Again, you know, finger fingertips and whatnot, fingerprints. Um, I I love sitting and thinking about how, again, just from an artistic side, like organic forms like that, how surrounded we are by those organic forms and that beautiful illustration he does of her in the fiddleheads. Yeah. 
like that. Yeah. And again, the inescapability of nature and the things all around you, even even in light of how supernatural everything gets, you have the juxtaposition of the really natural things that even if there wasn't something going on that was sinister, the paranoia would be enough. Yeah. But he somehow blends them both in a way that just kind of is a one-two punch. So so there's it. one bit, you were talking about that, I think that, that Junji Ito as the, as the creator of this, and, um, you know, it's not always the case in Western comic books that the artist is the writer. Um, and surely in, um, I guess there's, I guess there's, there's mangaka assistants or whatever in Japan, right? So if you're a, if it's a popular enough series, maybe you don't, you aren't the guy who's drawing every single panel. Maybe you've got, well, you'd probably other... draw all the characters in the foreground and you draw all the major things. Right. They just fill in a lot of background details usually. But I believe that this is the work of Junji Ito. I believe that's the case. I'm not entirely sure. However, there is this, there is this, I, I immediately, my Western brain got a connection between him and Rod Serling because there is like a prologue and an epilogue that are him drawing panels of himself sort of explaining like <laughs> like this is the process of me going through it and and like you said like I became obsessed with spirals and I did all of these things and I entered this sort of madness because I would be pulled into this and my uh, my editor was always calling me and being like we need to deliver these pages or whatever but I love the idea that he allows himself and I don't know if other creators do this, but he allows himself the idea that he himself is a visible part of the story, that the author of the story himself, the end creator of the story, is a voice talking to you on a sort of meta level about the process. It's it's very lighthearted. It's not. It's mm-hmm. clearly not as grim as the subject matter itself. But I got the sense, and of, it is grim. But <laughs> it's I got twice the sense as that, off-putting when he's lighthearted, right? But I but I know what uh, I know what Junji Ito looks like because he's drawn a version of himself. And you almost feel like you can hear what he sounds like. And that's a that's not always the case for a writer. You don't always... A writer is usually pretty anonymous in their sort of walled off behind their work. And for Junji Ito, I kind of have this sense of like the... He seems like a great affable guy with super dark corners of his mind that are crazy. <laughs> but I you know, but I feel like I know him in a sort of way. And that's, that's unique. Like I said, I don't know if that's the case with other you, you man- manga that, creators. You see that in manga sometimes. Like I, yeah. I really... I like how um, almost almost every full el- or full metal alchemist manga that they had for a while, um, Hiromu Arakawa would always have a little bit. She always depicted herself as like a cow on two legs, <laughs> and um, it was just this like this little cow with some glasses and whatnot. Um, that there are a lot of like you know mangaka that like do their own little. I don't know. I, I think of it as kind of this weird vaudevillian thing where they just sort of like trump out and go, you know, when I was making this, I was watching a lot of documentaries and there's them on the couch and I was having a lot of ramen noodles and like, <laughs> you know, and they'll sit and talk about how they've been spending their time and how stressed they are. And then there's this funny, like charming little chuckle of like, well, I hope you enjoyed it. I had to get back to work. And then like, I don't know. It's, it's fun to see Junji Ito do the same thing mm-hmm. when I used to read a lot of manga. Some of those would be at the end. And to think about somebody making something like this and then having this weirdly, again, affable thing of like, hey, everybody, I got <laughs> obsessed with something for a while. Well, I hope you like it. Anyway, here's the story. Um, and then drawing somebody so crawling into a snail person and eating them as they <laughs> crawl into their shell. After he just tells you, like, oh, I started raising snails because I was so interested with this idea. And I'm like, <laughs> oh, God. 
<laughs> it's oh, it just it becomes eerie um, because it's hard for me to think of him not being a terrifying individual. He's a dentist. He's a oh. dentist. Or, or oh, I from can my see understanding, that. he was a dentist. I don't know if he still is a dentist, but I had read somewhere that that was his day job before <laughs> wow. he was just doing manga. I, I can see that there's could definitely be that kind of darkness in a dentist of mm. sort of looking into the abyss. How has he not done a dental themed horror manga? He's done like a slice of life home one about him, his wife, and his two cats. That yeah, one, I've read that one. Yeah, it's great. The whole time I, I'm looking through it, I'm cringing, like expecting something terrible just in his day to day life and it's almost worse that you don't really get it. <laughs> it it's definitely made by someone who's really owned a cat yeah and <laughs> there's moments where it is kind of horrifying and there's the same kind of crazy distortions that you have in his horror work and it, just the way a cat moves and it is kind of like having this monster in your house mm-hmm. and but yeah it is it's weird because on one level i'm disappointed by how normal he looks Because you kind of want somebody who does horror to kind of look like they're constantly seeing ghosts. You like, know, you, like a Tim Burton, right? As he kind of looks like he's a little cracked. Edgar Allan Poe. Yeah. Performative spookiness. Yeah. yeah, like Stephen <laughs> King definitely looks like an odd dude. And you he's kinda... a frogman, yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> he's like a frightened frogman all the time. It's kind of so. like that you want them to look like the grown-up version of the Haley Joel Osment character from The Sixth Sense. Yeah. It's like this guy grows up and he's seeing shit all the time that he just doesn't say anything about out of just not wanting people to stare at him that way. But he's just like, oh, I could put it in this book. And it's just like, this is the sort of, and you just, oh, it's weird. Because maybe, though, the fact that Junji Ito looks like such a normal guy makes him scary. Because most serial killers look like normal guys. (laughs) (laughs) But, oh my god, this is a book that fucking sticks with you. It leaves these, like, greasy fingerprints on your brain. (laughs) And you think that you're kind of done with it. And then it'll just sneak up on you, and then you're just like, oh, God, the snail people. Or like, oh, yeah. God, the, the the suspension spring in that guy's spine. And then just like, or the, the pregnant mosquito women, and you see how they're like their their abdomens have been sort of stapled uh, shut. Yeah. And it's, oh, God, and it's, it's awful. And these images just get in you, and you just kind of have to ride that feeling out. And and let it pass, but it sticks well, with you for a while. Well, sometimes you can't write it out, as I realized that I had to stop reading this at bedtime. So I had to stop, actually, because there was two nights in a row where there was a really, really dreadful, in that first sort of couple REM cycles, there was really awful nightmares. And it's been a long time since I've sort of read or watched something that is sort of so deeply stuck in my psyche that it it has to express itself in the form of a nightmare. But this it, this is literal nightmare fuel because it works. It's 100% guarantee if you read it before <laughs> bedtime. It's uh, it's that it's that good. So I guess that that leads us to our our big final question: Is Uzumaki worth your time? Absolutely. I, I I think that even if you're not a horror person, that I I sit on my pedestal of saying that you should always experience things that you have the opportunity. Like whether or not it's pleasant shouldn't be the issue. As and to it whether is like not it's, pleasant. those are two completely different <laughs> questions. Is someone being like, well, would I like it? And I go, I'm not telling you that you're going to like it. I'm telling you that you should do it. That you should experience something really unusual every now and again. And 
I, I don't think that it's as important that it align with your own feelings or values as it is to experience something that you might lose the opportunity to, you know, you're, you're missing a good opportunity yeah. with something that you, you will not see anything like this anywhere else in what we have in Western horror. If you're a horror fan, you need the different sensibilities of people of different countries. You, you need, you need the different ideas of what's scary. You need to expand your horizons. And uh, I, I would go a little further and say, go ahead and watch the movie for this one too. No, I didn't, um, I didn't track it down, but I thought uh, it's got to be inferior. That's sort of, you know, cause it's not going to be able to do each of those stories as its own little. It's, it's vignette. a lot more buckets of blood than it uh, is. Like I, I still have to say on paper, it's weird for me to think of a horror story as way worse as a comic than it would be as a as a film because sure. somehow the flickering lights and sounds of film of, of the film version of that just I can't pull it up as good recall wise as I can even just a single panel out of the mm. blue like you're describing like you're just sitting there and then suddenly you think of snail people oh. I, I don't oh, have that experience it. with they're horror movies it. yeah so, and it's just oh god there's a permanence to that paper there. <laughs> so yeah absolutely read this book I, I got it from my local library. Viewers may not, listeners may not know that you, Kit, are a librarian. So thanks to they, you know, my local library delivered this this delightful experience to me. <laughs> Request in your library loan. Your tax dollars do pay for us to borrow things that are not, in fact, in our collection. So if you don't find it, go ahead and ask for it. I, I, I think it's I think it's worthwhile. Uh, you can either get the sort of the deluxe version. I think the way the two ways you can get it now are in three, either the three little uh, softback volumes or the hardcover uh, like collection collected versions, and they're all good. I think if you just gave the first one a try, I think immediately you would be struck by how vivid the sort of the visual depiction of the the conceit, the central conceit, actually is, and how kind of stultifying he's able to be with that idea with that with a very simple visual idea and of course it kind of it just kind of unravels in a way that unravels in a way that by the end of it you're stunned i will say that we didn't talk about this is that um i said on our akira panel that the things that i was um thing that i loved about otomo's art the most was when he could use his visual his visual style to make these huge architectures and there is a moment there's a, there's a two, there's like a full two page panel where you're sort of seeing the city beneath the city essentially as Kyrie and I think Shuichi I think they both descend into it where I was like I don't know how long it took this guy to build this these this yeah. this uh, this it must have taken days like because of the detail and of course he's trying to weave in the, the sort of visual design of the spirals but also this incredibly singular idea of an architecture that is not that is not human at mm -hmm. all that is extremely alien and that to me i was like Whoa, like ah, how could it he looks do that like the, it's a city that would break minds yeah and it mm -hmm. it it just feels like there's there's no way to fight this and that's the thing that really kind of gets to me um is that the characters in this story they don't win mhm mm they ultimately surrender to this thing and decide that if they're going to die and they're going to be broken into their components and sort of washed into this sea of what used to be people, that at least they're going to be together. And I also took it, it's like she also didn't die because from 
the beginning of the book, it's sort of implying that this is a memory. Yeah. That she's telling it as if it were some kind of memory, which brings in a whole different level of terrifying. (laughs) Where if you're twisted for eternity into the thing that destroyed you and you remember how it happened, you're reliving it. You're going through the cycle of memory. Over and over. <laughs> and so for me, it's it's kind of funny because, again, in, in Western films, a lot of the time there's the point that somebody picks up a crowbar and somebody squares their shoulders and they go, we're going to take this demon down. We're going to find <laughs> the big book and we're going to highlight it and we're going to fight it and we're going to save the kid. You know, or any of those sort of things. We're going to fight back and we're going to win and we might lose a couple of minorities along the way. <laughs> God. But, you know, our our cantuitiveness will get us through. And the resignation yeah. is so terrifying. All my favorite horror stories, you don't win. Yeah. That there's no way to win. Because then that means that you get to continue being afraid. Mm. And even though they I have, kind of like that. Yeah. I like to sit with it. <laughs> and even when it gets down to just Shuichi and Kiri and her little brother, you think, mm-hmm. oh, well, the little brother's going to be okay. <laughs> <laughs> It'll be fine. Yeah. <laughs> and then he becomes a snail person. You don't really know what happens to him. They protect him from a mob that wants to eat him, and he just crawls down a cliff, and we don't know what happens yeah, to him I after that. Yeah, that. And now they're alone. And... You just kind of feel like that's the one thing that they never do. The kid is going to be one of the last survivors because no fucking crazy, horrible artist would ever do that to a child. (laughs) But there is some child death in this (laughs) that is horrifying. Uh, Yes, absolutely. Yes. I think Uzumaki is worth your time. It is disquieting. I'm not sure if I'd recommend it as a, if no one has ever read a manga before. Oh, yeah. This shouldn't be your first manga. No. (laughs) But it should be in the pantheon of ones that you do read. It's, it's, there's a learning curve to reading manga. Of course, Japanese is written from right to left rather than left to right as English is. So when you're doing sequential art, the panels go from right to left. So it is a bit of a skill to learn. It's worth, worth doing. Just pick up one and just kind of make yourself learn. And you'll find over time that it just becomes second nature to you. It was one, it was a skill that I put off for a long time and was so glad that I finally did. Uh, this was not the first manga I read. I don't know how I would have processed this as the first thing I read. <laughs> or maybe do read it for your first one. I, I don't know. I, if you're a particularly <laughs> dark and spooky person, yeah. but I would, I would say that it's, it's, it's an amazing story. And I think if there's one thing art is supposed to do it to succeed, it's to make you feel something. This is art that makes you feel something, even if it's frequently making you feel something that isn't pleasant, as you said, that it isn't about making me feel good uh, to to experience art, that sometimes the thing that it makes me explore, and this is what's so great about horror, is that I get to explore emotions that don't make me happy, but because it's fiction, I'm doing it in a safe way, mm-hmm. that I'm looking through... Uh, a window into another world and feeling these things vicariously through characters rather than experiencing the shift myself. <laughs> I never want to live through something like this. Get a little emotional resiliency. Like I, I think that's what I like about horror in general as a genre is that every time I read it, I actually, once the being afraid shakes off, I get this sense that I survived something without there ever having been any risk. I <laughs> right. actually do feel more resilient mm. after yeah. I I enjoy a horror movie or 
read a horror book. And my recommendation, I'll say, comes with with a very specific caveat, which is that read this book when you're in a good headspace. Yeah. That if you are feeling particularly like your outer skin is a little bit worn down and thin, this shit can get to you. It got to me when I read this. And this is my second time reading it. The first time, I think, was about two or three years ago I read it for the first time. And I think I was in a less stressful place than I was when I read it this time because the world is on fucking fire and there's a rapist on the Supreme <laughs> Court. Um, and in the White House. Yeah, it's just like everything just feels Ooh. like we're dangling right now. And this had much bigger impact than I expected to. So I would say it's kind of like you want to cut this with something a bit happier. So there's a lot of good things out there, like read Jeff Smith's Bone or uh, check out like Miss Marvel, which is a great fun series. Get some fun, happy things and space it out a little bit. Maybe read the first third of it, take a break, read something else that's happy, maybe some adventure time. Um, put on some wiggles. You know, yeah. A little bit of fruit salad after this. Put a Raffi album on. Are you kind of doing the same thing that you do when someone wants to take LSD or, or, or mushrooms where you'd be like, make sure oh, that God, you're not mushrooms. in a totally depressed mushroom. Oh, God. Take make, you to the tent, give you some orange slices, yeah, make sure ride this yeah. out. You're in a good, you're not depressed, you're not, you're not in a terrible state of mind because you're, you know, you're going to, you're going to take a ride. You're definitely yeah. going to take a ride. I went to see my favorite ska band last night, like mere hours after reading this. And I think that it was probably, <laughs> no. I think that I'm going to specifically say, like, go listen to ska. <laughs> <laughs> Move your body a little bit and be thankful that it mostly, you know. <laughs> Remind yourself that Stuck happiness a is a thing that can exist. Yeah. <laughs> and because I think too much of this in a row, like a friend of mine that I used to work with at a used bookstore said that he read this uh, from hell and Charles Burns's um, black hole all in a row. Yeah. And I would not recommend doing that. <laughs> he said that it left him in a place where he's just like, ugh, ugh, for like a week. And so the descent into madness, I'd say space it out. Make yourself happy, you know, take a break, go to the tent and have some orange slices. <laughs> can I Can I offer, though, however, if you are the type that likes to go on a horror bender, if you have occasional benders where you just like to immerse yourself in things like this, um, I'm going to give you a film recommendation of watching Tetsuo the Iron Man. Oh, yeah. That's... If, you, if this is the first time you've seen bodies treated this way as an element of horror... Go find some more body horror stuff. Yeah. Because and, I remember being a youngin and reading this the first time and going, I've I've never seen anybody treat somebody like this. It's you funny. I, I, the, speaking of the same thing, of course, I think that's where the Iron Man came out in the mid-90s, I think. Yeah. Um, I saw Ringu, which was obviously the inspiration for The Ring. Um, sort of a similar vibe. Similar vibe about the inevitability of doom and about the intense feeling of discomfort of... Like people frozen, their faces frozen in horror, and this like, I I wondered what the sort of the chain of the temporal chain of this was. Junji Ito was a contemporary, or was it before or after? Because there are some sort of things where it's like, oh my god, that image is going to stick with me forever. And it seems like that's a that's a particular sort of uh, facet of the Japanese horror is sort of that 
disturbing still image of a body destroyed that is just gonna like not gonna leave you but Horror you're not a even good ha- time in the 90s yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but it's like your body's destroyed but you don't even have the sweet release of death yeah <laughs> you're just gonna be conscious of this and being able to look at yourself and you can't even scream i mean that's the vibe so kit thank you so much for joining us <laughs> hey, for this fun journey it's been a hoot and a half <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, Kit to Forge, if people want to find other things that you're working on, if there's any projects you're doing that you have up posted on the internet anywhere, where should they look? Um, try to find a spot in the mountain that is precisely me-shaped, and I'll be slowly shoving myself into that. Wow. <laughs> um, <laughs> I know what that feels like. Gosh, as far as the internet these days, um, I don't really know. I've just, I've just been uh, messing around on Facebook. I haven't really been putting a bunch of creative things up there find me at your local library um, <laughs> if you're in pierce county i'd always love to talk to you about scary things well thank you very much kit and a special thanks to our episode sponsors we have five of them larry brunswick five five wow yeah larry oh, brunswick sorry. go ahead of course larry brunswick <laughs> margaret king Tim Batson, Zuri Russell, and Sterling Taylor. And if you want to become an episode sponsor, please check us out on patreon.com slash radio versus the Martians or on radio versus the Martians.com. And other than that, uh, when you come down from the tent with the orange slices, we'll catch you guys <laughs> next month. Radio versus the Martians is hosted by Mike Gillis and Casey Doran. This podcast is recorded in beautiful Val Verde in Seattle, Washington. Our chief engineer is Casey Doran, and our editor is Mike Gillis. Our original theme music was written and performed by Todd Maxfield Matsumoto. Special thanks to Sam Mulvey, Rob Kelly, James Wetzel, Paul Rue, Tobias Panshin, Scott Kramer, Kyle Hepworth, and Dan Lombardo. Please take the time to rate and review our show on iTunes and Stitcher and follow us on Facebook and Twitter. And if you'd like to support the show financially, please consider becoming one of our Patreon subscribers. Even just a dollar a month gives you access to exclusive episodes. And you can always find us online at radioversusthemartians.com. おばさん、おばさん、先生、クラスメイト、ストーカー、カタツムリ、ナルトマキ。